You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a recent event, actually, it's very significant, an attack on the ECLA, that's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, their stance on the Palestinian issue. At their recently held convention in New Orleans, they passed two very strong resolutions calling for peace in Palestine. And we did a a story on that, a podcast entitled ELCA Lutheran's Palestinian Peace Not Walls Campaign Major Breakthrough. And so if you uh, missed that, you want to get for a little background. But this program is going to be entitled CFR's Elliot Abrams Belittles, Threatens Lutheran Church. And so we want to talk about this is a very significant event because the CFR, for those who do not know, is the Council on Foreign Relations. It's been in existence for about 100 years, and the movers and shakers in business and government are members. For example, this Elliot Abrams that we'll be talking about, who wrote this condemning letter about the Lutheran Church's resolutions on Palestine. Elliot Abrams is a senior fellow for Middle Eastern Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. And for those who are not really aware, some of the prominent members include former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, John Paulson, who was the Secretary of Treasury under Barack Obama, George Herbert Walker Bush, the first Bush president was a member, Bill Clinton was a member in addition to his wife, George George W. Bush was not a member, but his vice president, Richard Cheney, Dick Cheney, was a member. So you've got people like uh, Henry Kissinger, who's been around uh, for years, and uh, people like Zbigniew Brzezinski that advocate world government and who are basically cheerleaders for war. And so this is a very significant attack, once again, on the Lutherans coming from on high. Now, we've seen attacks from other places, which you can expect from Zionist-type organizations. Here's one that I've never heard of, Gatestone Institute. They've got an article here entitled, Luther's Anti-Semitism Back to Life. And then you've got the things from the Jewish publications that are castigating and so forth. But on the other hand, you've got... Jewish publications like Mondo Weiss, who uh, gave extensive coverage on the Lutherans and were applauding their actions. So you've got both sides of the debate here. So what we want to do is discuss Chuck's letter about this event, Elliot Abrams' article. It's a blog post at the CFR site, and we'll have a link to that. The Lutheran Church Attacks Israel Again. And this was a rather very vicious attack. It actually resorted to attacking the church for various spurious reasons that really had no validity in the argument. I mean, it's like calling somebody an anti-Semite. 
he did not resort to that in this discussion. But I want Chuck to talk a little bit about that and, and his reply and the significance of an organization like this having an attack on a mainline church here in the United States. Chuck? Well, uh, yes, Abrams made a crack the Evangelical Lutheran Church being on its way to going out of business. So he implied they were inconsequential. And uh, he, he pointed out that they had lost membership in the last 20 years, 25 years, as have the Southern Baptists and many other denominations uh, lost membership. He suggested that they would be attacking Israel when the last, when they turned out the final lights in another 25 years. So that's a pretty strange way to approach a, a, an issue. And uh, Abrams also resorted to something that I thought was really clever. Uh, he didn't want to suggest himself, apparently, that the church should lose its tax-exempt status. So somehow he managed to have someone write the first commentary letter to him, which must have arrived simultaneously with the printing of the piece, because <laughs> it matched up perfectly with the, with the piece. And so when you read the first letter, to the editor, it sounded almost as though it was a uh, epilogue written by the author himself. It immediately said, this is a very simple problem. We just need to take away these people's tax-exempt status playing politics with religion. Well, Abrams couldn't say that himself, but he somehow managed to get that right into his article. And by the way, uh, it's a pretty thin argument. But it's designed to terrify the evangelical Lutherans, because especially those that we're not active on this issue, don't understand it, didn't, didn't want to be involved in the first place. And they're going to be frightened to death, and they're going to use that against their fellow Lutherans to try to tame them down and back to the good old things where all they argue about is uh, homosexual pastors from the pulpit and things like that. So this is a, a particularly a mean and vicious attack, and it doesn't present any meritorious arguments. It simply just hammers away at the church. So you need to read it yourself. It's, it's worth reading, and it's a lack of substance, I would say. Anybody else have a thought on that? Well, yes, Chuck, because here this is a prestigious organization. I mean, you've got these top people, like I mentioned, in government and so forth, very, very influential, and that they would sink this low. Abrams has been in government most of his life. He served under two presidents, the first being Ronald Reagan, and then uh, the second, George W. Bush, he presided there. And he also signed the infamous agreement called the Project for the New American Century, which is basically a call to war, the Project for the New American Century. The substance of it was the United States is not properly armed. We need to rearm better. And uh, this was presented in 1997, six years after we destroyed Iraq. And Elliot Abrams was one of the signers on this effort, which basically is funded and financed and set up the huge military spending that's been necessary to keep us in war ever since then. So this is the kind of guy Elliot Abrams is. He is a, a leader in the establishment program, the call for whatever it is the big boys want. He's a darling of the bankers and uh, very Jewish, of course, and says so proudly. So this, attack on, so this attack on the Evangelical Lutheran Church takes us back a little bit to the very purpose and reason for Israel. Because why is, is this so, so important that the people like Abrams and others would actually come out and we would think embarrass themselves 
and the way they've approached and attacked this church with three and a half or four million members. So we need to talk a little bit about why Israel is so important that you would bring out the big guns from the CFR to defend their treatment of the Palestinian people. Well, we ought to go back, Chuck, to the first Gulf War in 1991, and what preceded that, it was in the 80s, Israel actually bombed nuclear facilities in Saddam Hussein's Iraq. So many people, including ourselves, contend that the first war in Iraq was a war for Israel. And this reflects one of our signs that we hold of vigils, no more wars for Israel. And so Israel has actually gotten us to do their dirty work against their enemies. Iraq was one of their most prominent enemies. We've seen what they've done vis-a-vis Iran by demonizing them and demonizing the nuclear agreement that was reached between the United States and Iran um, through President Obama. So we have seen a consistent effort for wars in the Middle East, and these People like Abrams are cheerleaders, or we would call war makers. And in fact, this project for the new American century, it's claimed that they actually were planning the war in 2003 against Iraq back in the late 90s there. So with their concept of the American exceptionalism, where we have to be the policemen of the world. Right. Others, anybody want to chime in here? I've got the uh, Lutheran article right in front of me. It's called Peace, Not Walls, is the, uh, from the ECLA.org. And this is, this is what they say. We invite you to join our advocacy efforts to bring about a just and lasting negotiated resolution for the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And there's uh, four bullet, five bullet points. First one, call for equal human dignity and rights for all people in the Holy Land. Two, call for an end to Israeli settlement building and the occupation of Palestinian land, both of which violate international law. Three, call for a two-state solution with two viable, secure states living side by side. Four, ask individuals to invest in Palestinian products to build their economy and to utilize selective purchasing to avoid buying products made in illegal settlements built on Palestinian land. And the last, call for an examination of U.S. military aid to Israel to ensure compliance with U.S. and international human rights law and a possible withholding of aid for noncompliance with those laws. So that's the heart of what they're asking for. And I can see where the Abrams and these others say, well, you're crossing the political line here and you're going to lose your 501c3 status, which is a gag order on the churches to get them to stop talking about anything that goes beyond the four walls of the church. So uh, I applaud ECLA taking that stance, and, and then obviously they know that there are some risks associated with that. You know, so I applaud them for taking that stance. Yes, and they're taking a, a very limited posture in the way that we look at the wars in the Middle East and the Israel-Palestine situation. Uh, I believe most of us have come to the conclusion that Israel's war with Palestine has been going on since 1948, and it continues, and if you want to call occupation a continuation of war after one party has been disarmed and imprisoned, the ongoing war there is now 68 years old and so shows no signs of stopping. There was bombing in Gaza yesterday, I believe, or the day before. So it, it does not end, and there are people arrested and shot constantly and, and jailed and imprisoned and 
lots of people in prison. The Lutheran Church is wise in a way in limiting their scope in terms of way they discuss this whole problem. In other words, they do not tie Israel to any other wars. They don't tie the war in Israel to other uh, engagements around the world, such as Iraq, potentially Iran, Afghanistan. We see what's going on in Israel as, as sort of a catalyst, sort of like a little tank of gasoline that's squirted on the flames every now and then. And that Israel is an ongoing part of the war system there in the Middle East, that the people who were funding that warring system, be it ISIL, uh, if you want to call it ISIL, or be it uh, the potential war in Iran, Israel is there to make sure these wars continue. So we see this in a broader scope than the Evangelical Lutheran Church discusses it. What we would uh, like to do would be to have a chance to broaden the scope of the, uh, of the, of the churches to where they actually view the Israeli conflict as part of a bigger thing. I believe that would make them more susceptible to more aggressive action, and uh, that uh, gives us a ch- give us a chance to help educate people who look at this from a very limited view. And I know this is true because I meet with these people and talk to them, and organizations like Sabil really don't go beyond talking about Israel-Palestine period. Others notice this? Well, yes, you have to step back and look at the whole context of what's going on. And certainly, like you mentioned, Israel benefits from all these infighting amongst the various uh, countries. It's much easier to have fragmented countries to deal with, and that makes them all that much stronger. And, of course, starting with Iraq, that was the the most uh, powerful at the time. I guess maybe even more powerful than Saudi Arabia, but of course they can, Saudi Arabia continues to be one of our best weapons buyers, and so they're amassing a large military in their own country. What we've seen over these years is fragmentation in the Middle East, and of course part of the ongoing war from 1948 with the Palestinians, you've got refugees, millions of refugees in places like Jordan, Lebanon and Syria. The Palestinians in Syria have suffered terribly from the the fighting that's going on there too. So the ramifications of all this certainly extend out beyond the borders of Israel. And I can understand why um, the ECLA wants to keep it more as a humanitarian issue. These are not necessarily political. People like Elliot Abrams want to turn it into a political to suit their own agenda and of course they always turn the debate about what about the terrorists and blah 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 you know and so forth and Hamas and and they, they always want to turn it away from the fact of what is actually going on that the settlements are continuing to expand over the years there's been no change interestingly as an aside here you can watch this we highly recommend it it's a it's a documentary by John Pilger, and we posted on our uh, on our site. It's called "Palestine is Still the Issue." But what's interesting about this, John Pilger, who is an Australian broadcaster and filmmaker, uh, made this film back in 1977, and then 25 years later, in 2002, he went back and remade the film, 
and it's still entitled Palestine is still the issue. The issue, and I've just watched it, and it's amazing. That's 14 years old, but it's as fresh as it was made in 2002 after the second uh, Intifada there. And so we've seen the continued expansion of the settlements, which are illegal under uh, international law, and continued human rights violations of Palestinians throughout this time. So really, in all this time, nothing has changed. We continue to get lip service from the United States government and from the Israeli government. uh, And uh, it's to the point now where we really commend people like the ELCA for stepping out and uh, in a leap of faith to say, hey, there's something wrong here. We want peace and justice for the Holy Land for both the Israeli Jews and the the Arabs there. Tom, I might add that the ECLA, of course, was not doing this when we began our mission 12 years ago, and neither was anyone else, although uh, a few years later we discovered that the National Council of Churches had published a paper on Christian Zionism. They had recognized what Christian Zionism is. They published this paper. No one paid much attention to it, but these organizations like the ECLA are members of that world body. And uh, now we've seen a number of mainline churches that have taken action, perhaps not quite as aggressively as ECLA, but the United Methodists have taken sanction action, and uh, they have organizations within that deal with this. The United Church of Christ, which is an old-line church, has also done very much the same thing, the Quakers, the Mennonites. The Presbyterian Church USA has published this excellent document called Zionism Unsettled, a Congressional Study Guide, in which they recommend that their bodies or participants have classes and study what's going on with Zionism in Palestine. So we are seeing tremendous progress, and we're seeing the resistance to it beginning to rise from this powerful level, and we don't know what's going to happen yet, but we do know that we must have a part in this somehow, and uh, we need to uh, keep thinking and keep talking and writing and trying to influence people. I did meet the United Church of Christ pastor uh, Monday night. He was uh, meeting in the same cafe where we were meeting with a different group, and uh, he was having dinner with a couple of people, and He's making speeches now to congregations within his old United Church of Christ. He's a retired pastor, and he's, he's arranging his own, he's his own publicity agent, and he's going to the churches talking to them about this very thing. I have, I'm looking forward to getting acquainted with him very soon. And he's going to get this paper that we've just written, and we'll tune him in on this uh, conversation as well. So there's uh, more and more for us to do. And strategy is part of it. Just plain hard work is another part of it. We need to be a little lucky, I think. Somehow, somebody needs to come along who has some real clout. It would be great if Tim Tebow decided to join our team and would get in these programs. It would break the whole system open overnight. Uh, something like that could happen. And uh, so we need to keep thinking about that, even praying about that. I just wanted to add that our material ought to be reviewed by these people who are interested in peace in the Middle East and should see our movie Tragedy in the Turning, which is still true after six years as well. Sure is true, Leslie. Chuck, what I wanted to say is 
it's interesting that Abrams is coming out with this attack. Up to this point, we've been pretty much ignored, like you, you mentioned, and we saw that in our, our vigils where they just try to ignore us, and that way it, they don't even have to address it. But the fact that we're causing an effect, now it's, uh, the emperor has no clothes, and so now the heat is starting to get turned up. So that's an exciting change. One of the anti-Israel occupation movies I've seen, it says uh, some Israeli official was saying, in the battle of pictures, we lose. So uh, Israel is becoming aware that they're losing the, the propaganda war and that the, the truth is starting to get out, and they're very nervous about it. The little cell phones and things like that, little cell phone cameras that make movies have, uh, have been a big factor, haven't they? Uh, many, many instances of Israeli brutality, murder, absolute outright assassination have ended up being photographed on people's little cell phones, some of them being movies, and uh, they are just undeniable. No one who even remotely fair-minded can deny these films when they see them. Some soldier shooting an unarmed female eight times, seven times while she's on the ground. Those kind of things can't be washed out of people's minds. So uh, there's a lot going on that is very favorable, and technology is really helping us. And the amazing fact that the Palestinians, in spite of all of the incredible problems they have, managed to stay alive, halfway nutritiously, uh, at least functional, and can afford a cell phone <laughs> and get it connected with Facebook or something like that. All of this is, a, is an absolute miracle. That the, the, the Israelis must look at this in horror and say, why can't we stop these uh, cell phones? You, you can imagine how important it would be for them that they could shut down the, as you as you put it, Craig, the war of pictures. Is that what you said? We're losing the war of pictures. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely true. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for your comments. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.